You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Maybe this morning, this might not be normal for you, but if you want to close your eyes just for a second and lift a hand, maybe it's both hands up to heaven, and just say with me this morning, Lord, I surrender. I surrender my ways. I surrender my ideas. I surrender my uh, plans to what you would want me to do, to what you would want me to hear today. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us, being our friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, each and every one of you, for everything that you do to give us a little taste of heaven. Amen. You can give them a clap. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> okay. Boy, it has been a wild 24 hours, but I'm here. <laughs> uh, how, many of you, how many of you feel like uh, sometimes you don't know what you're doing? I can't see anybody yet. Can we get a little lights on? Anybody feel like you, sometimes you don't know what you're doing? Man, that's how I feel right about now. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about that. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a good thing sometimes that I don't know, don't feel like I know what I'm doing. And you're like, oh, he's, he's gone a little crazy. Well, bear, keep in mind, bear with me here for a second. Maybe, what it, maybe when I don't really know what, it, what I'm doing, maybe that means, maybe that means that I'm giving more of the, the plan, that my plan away and, and accepting more of God's plan. Because I, I tell you what, I could plan a, a week, a month, a year, five years, that's, that's not really hard for me to do. I'm a planner. But what, uh, what is hard to, to do is to accept uh, God's plan at work in your life. That can be tricky. And, but when God's at work, um, we know His plan is better than our plan. His ways are better than our ways. Amen? So I'm not... Uh, I'll say this, you know, I, I've, I've had in my heart for a while now, um, God been talking to me about something, and, and if you're familiar with the book of John, at the end of the book of John, Jesus says to Peter, um, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Um, for me, this is, a, this is a message that's, it wasn't just to Peter, it was to me. Whether that's, uh, whether that's at home, whether that's at my workplace, whether that is... Uh, here with you guys. And so when, when Megan sends me a text and says, hey, can you preach on this day? I really don't know what I'm doing, but I do know that it follows with what God has told me to do. And so I, I can say yes in faith, knowing it's the right thing to do. And it's difficult because I'm not, I'm not the son of a preacher. I'm not uh, four plus years of seminary or Bible school learning. Oh, hang on, hang on. but I am willing to be obedient to Jesus. Amen? He, Jesus never said 
Um, how do I want to word this? Jesus never said, uh, if you love me, wait until you know exactly what you're doing, then follow me. <laughs> Did he ever say any of that to ever, any of you? He never, no, he said, if you love me, then follow me, right? Keep my commandments. That means that you'll have to step out sometimes when it's not comfortable and when it's not convenient. I'll tell you, it's not very comfortable sometimes to come up here. And it's not convenient to have to write a, to, to write a sermon when, uh, with Paw Patrol in the background. <laughs> um, but but we, we do what we do because we love God and we want to we wanna serve His kingdom. I'm... Uh, I'm following up a couple of awesome messages. Anybody been here the last couple of weeks? Lucas preached about pride a couple of weeks ago. And uh, you can bring out those chairs there. You know, and pride, uh, pride that it was like the, it was the root of all sin, the first sin, and really, um, when we look to ourselves rather than when we look to God, this all comes from a place of pride. Megan, last week, she preached a, a message about religion, about the tradition and the rules side of religion, the, the not-so-good side of religion, right? We don't, we don't want to be caught following the creation rather than the creator. We don't want to be caught um, following and chasing after things that were made instead of the maker, right? Right? And so... Hopefully, I'm uh, going to actually be totally honest and vulnerable this morning. I thought that I had a great sermon for you all. I thought. And I started to try to put it all together yesterday. And the stories I usually have, they didn't work. Like, I, I thought they worked, but when I went to do it, they didn't work. And, and the illustrations I had, they didn't they didn't quite mesh up right, and it wasn't, wasn't making the point. And uh, it, was a, it was a tough pill to swallow, because I've done it a couple times, and it seemed to have gone so naturally now. But I got stuck. But let me just uh, tell you that, uh, thankfully, behind every all right man, there's a better woman. <laughs> and my wife is going to come up today. We're going to do this thing together, because I needed a little help. So we got stools because she was worried that I'd be like running all over the place, running laps around her, and she'd just be standing. So we got stools, so we're going to do it a little different today. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so that's where we're at today. We're coming off those great messages. We kind of want to keep building on that. Are you guys ready? Okay. So we've got, me and Darby, we have four children, but... We have, one of our kids is two years old. His name is Flint. Um, if you know anything about two-year-olds, uh, does anybody have a two-year-old or has had a two-year-old? Yeah. And if you haven't had, have you at least observed one? They're busy. They're, they're learning uh, everything. It's a whole new world. They really, they're really smart, but they don't quite know how to apply how smart they are to anything good yet. Does that make any sense? Okay, so Darby wants to share a couple of stories about Flint with you guys. 
This is my wife, Darby, by the way. She's not just a random person. This is my wife. If you don't know her, this is Darby. Okay, so our son Flint just turned two in February, and he was a very late walker. So we've been waiting probably a year for him to start walking. He started walking finally in December when he was 22 months old. So in the last two months since he started walking, he's become a completely different kid. Like he's talking, he's walking, he's running after his siblings, he's getting into everything he can get into, he's climbing on everything he can climb on. <laughs> so it really keeps me busy during the day trying to follow him. And often, if the house is quiet for too long, or if I don't see him for too long, we know that that is a bad thing. After about 30 <laughs> seconds, if you don't hear or see, you need to go looking. <laughs> <laughs> so one day, that's what happened. I was in the kitchen, and I realized, okay, I haven't seen heard Flint for a few minutes. So I go looking room to room, and I find him in the bathroom, hiding behind the door, and he's covered in conditioner. He's lathered in his hair, he's greased it on his face, it's on his shirt, it's under his shirt on his belly, he's put it everywhere, and the floor. Like the floor was slippery for a week after that. We, yeah. <laughs> so when I see him, I ask Flint, like, what are you doing? Conditioner, no. Another time I was in the kitchen and I was making supper, and usually the hour before supper can be pretty hectic at our house because the kids are getting tired and hungry, I'm getting tired and hungry, we're waiting for Aaron to get home. So I was making pizza and Conan was sleeping in the next room. But he woke up, he started crying, so I had to put down the stuff that I was making. I went and I held him and I was trying to just get him to quiet down so that I could finish getting the pizza ready and we could have supper. But as I'm standing there rocking him, I hear <laughs> like, oh no, I know what that is. I was making pizza and I left the olive oil on the counter. So I go into the kitchen and Flynn's standing there just watching it pour, like a puddle, half a bottle of olive oil is already on the floor. <laughs> And I said, Flint, what are you doing? <laughs> and then my last story is another one in the bathroom. And our bathroom is tiny, like it is very, very small. But somehow it seems like it ends up that me and all four kids are in there all the time, in this tiny little space. <laughs> so I'm giving them all baths one day, and there's just literally not enough room for us all to be in there and for everybody to get dressed and everything. So I usually get them out of the tub, towel them off, and send them out one by one, and then we go find pajamas. So I took Flint out first, toweled him off, sent him out, got the other two kind of out of the tub. And then I go to find Flint, and I find him in the kitchen, just standing in the puddle he's made, because I hadn't put anything on him yet. And no diaper. No so diaper, yeah. the puddle he made. <laughs> and the worst part is he has his sister's special blankie that she sleeps with every night, and he's just dragging it through the puddle. <laughs> and I say, Flint, like, what are you doing? So all these stories... Uh, they're all c quite comical, um, and they all end in, it could be it, Darby in this position, but it could have been me too, the parent asking, what are you doing? But if we take a step back as parents and take a look at that situation, um, on a day-to-day -day basis, who's in charge, me or Flint? On a day-to-day -day basis, um, who knows what Flint should be doing, me or Flint? Okay, and then on another, another question like, who is, should be watching a two-year-old? Me? Well, Flint can't watch himself. Okay, so we've taken this question, Flint, what are you doing? And now all of a sudden it looks a little different. Flint, what was I doing? 
And in each of these times, pretty much as soon as I said those words, Flint, what are you doing? In my head, it's already playing back to me. Oh no, like what am I doing? Why am I leaving the bathroom door open so he can go in and get stuff? Why am I leaving things on the counter where he can reach them? Why am I sending him out and letting him run around without a diaper on? Why am I doing these things? Right, so the real question that it started out as, hey, what are you doing? It now has become, what am I doing? Uh, and don't get us wrong, we're not saying that you can't train your kids. We definitely believe in child training, but we're talking about a two-year-old here. Um, you know, as kids grow older, we can definitely teach them these things. And since we're up here, we're just going to tweet out real quick. If you want to come and find out more about that, we are super excited about next week's fire up of the parental uh, discipleship classes. Uh, they will be here at the church at 6.30. If you missed the announcement before, come on out. Let us know you're coming, though, okay? But other than that, we are super excited about child training and parenting, working, getting to know what that looks like from a biblical perspective together. Yeah, so we're not saying that, uh, that we don't want to train our kids, but what we are saying in the situation with the two-year-old is whose fault really is it that they got into this trouble? It's ours. Now, I, I want to get in, we want to get in, of course, to the Bible. Is anybody ready? You want to turn to Matthew 12? We'll come back to this shortly. In Matthew 12, oh, it's up already. Okay, Matthew 12, starting in verse 1, it says, At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is only one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So this story starts out. We've got, we've got the Pharisees. And you know, I preached a message about Pharisees last July. This one will be a little different, but it, it starts out almost in a kind of a similar way. Um, these guys, they're, they're, they're following Jesus. They're looking for a way to get them. They want to get them. But in this particular, for instance, it says some Pharisees saw. So they didn't all seem to, this didn't bother all of them, it, but it bothered some of them enough that some of them came up and said, hey, look, your disciples, what are they doing? Okay, so from there, what we have, what I want to just take a quick minute to, to do a little back information for you, so you might be like, so like these disciples, they're, they're literally just they're, just, they're just walking through a field, and you know how like wheat, you know, you just grab it, you just pinch it between your fingers, you just nibble it, you know, no big, that doesn't seem like a big deal, right? So the thing about Sabbath is what happened with Sabbath. We're going to go back. I'm just going to quickly read you Exodus 20 verses 8 to 11. This is the original Ten Commandment that was given concerning Sabbath. 
okay? It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So this, this part here, if you can't take for, for sure is gospel, but this is what I'm going to say more than likely happened over time, because there's men involved. God gave this law to men, right? Right? He gave it to men. Okay, just checking in, make sure you're here. Um, so what's going to happen over time, if, if I get a law like that, where you should only work on one day, say I love to cook. That's great. But say the next guy who comes into charge, you know, I, I love to cook, and to me, maybe cooking I can use as a blessing to somebody. That's not me. That would be my wife, actually. We'll use that. My wife loves to cook. She could use cooking as a blessing. It's not necessarily work for her. But say the next leader comes around, and it, he's like, I hate to cook. Cooking is working for me, so can't do that on the Sabbath. Okay? Maybe somebody, maybe somebody was like, like me, who likes to work with their hands. To me, working with my hands isn't really work. In fact, I get quite enjoyment, and I could use that to worship God. I could use that to build something for somebody if they were in need, and it, it's not really work to me. But the next guy who is in charge, maybe to him, working with his hands was work. And he said, okay, we don't work, on, we don't work with our hands on the Sabbath anymore. What happened over time, they added to this Sabbath rule so many sub-points to it that over time, you, couldn't, you could only walk so many steps a day. You could only send so many text messages a day. Back then it would have been letters, but we'll say, for our day and age, we'll say text. Um, you, if you wanted to eat the next day, you had to make it the day before. You weren't allowed to cut the loaf of bread on Sabbath. And so that's where these guys are coming at. It's like, there's no way that God was against somebody picking some grain as they walk through a field. But they'd taken it to such the extreme that you could basically not do anything on Sabbath. I don't know what you did. Honestly, that's kind of why I think they probably ended up serving idols, because they couldn't do anything. <laughs> that's just, again, that's just my thought. Um, Yeah, so many things got viewed as work that sooner or later you couldn't do the things that you couldn't do anything. You just couldn't do anything. So if the grain that the disciples were munching on had been picked the day before and they just had it in their pocket, just nibbling on the, from their pocket, it would have been fine. But because they were harvesting grain, you know, it's not like they were out there with their sickles and uh, making sheaves of wheat. They were, but they, you know, the Pharisees said, you're harvesting grain. Uh, this was not okay. The Pharisees come up to them and they say, what are you doing? And Jesus takes the time, like he does, to ask these guys, present these guys some different situations. You know, he says two things here. 
He gives them two examples. Haven't you read in the scriptures when David and his companions were hungry, they went into the house of God and they ate the sacred loaves only the priests could eat? Or haven't you heard that the law of Moses says that priests on duty in the temple, they can work on the Sabbath? He's saying to these guys, guys, you're coming at my disciples saying, what are you doing? But I want to ask you a question. What are you doing? What are you doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? Sure. That's right. Thanks. That's why I needed her. <laughs> they're, they're asking the disciples, what are you doing? Yeah. But Jesus turns the question back on right. them. And he's asked, you, telling them to ask themselves, what am I doing? We know that Jesus doesn't view the disciples as having sinned because he says in verse 7, why have you condemned my innocent disciples? So Jesus doesn't view what they're doing as sin. It's obvious. Peter was probably like, oh, that's a first. Whew, I'm off the hook. <laughs> um, I'll share with you a couple, a couple thoughts on this. The, uh, the thing about people is that sometimes you're going to uh, Sometimes we're going to do things that throw people off because we do things differently. And sometimes you're going to be thrown off by the way someone does something. That's what happened here. These guys were like, these guys are Jews. They should be following Sabbath. Why are they picking grain? Jesus is like, guys, you've, you've got the point of this all wrong. What, you need to stop asking, what are you doing? And start asking, what am I doing? Jesus is okay with us doing things differently. We wouldn't need to show mercy to each other if we were all the same. It says, it says there in verse 7, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. If, if, if we were all the same, I'd have no reason to show anybody mercy because we'd just be doing it the same. You know, but God didn't make us to be the same. He made us... The thing about God is, is God is the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the constant. But for some reason, which is awesome, we have free will, he could have made us all the same. That's what I'm trying to say. He could have made us all the same, but he chose to make us all individuals, fearfully and wonderfully made, it says in Psalms 139. Our ex your external religion and tradition aren't going to truly help people. It's what it shows us in this passage about the Pharisees. But your love and mercy, which spring forth from your internal relationship with God, that will, that will help somebody. And when you find yourself asking, seeing something going on and you're saying, what are you doing? And judging, maybe we should rather ask ourselves, what am I doing to show love and mercy to that person or situation? How can I be a light rather than cast shadows over them? Because you never truly know what a person might be going through, do you? You never, it might, like, it might look good, it might look all right, but we never really know. And we have, uh, or we had, 
still kind of have a tree in our yard. It was right by the front door. And if you drove by our house, you would see this nice, big, beautiful, lush tree, leafy tree. It looked really good from the road. It looked really good when you drove up when you're going in the front door. But the thing about this tree was, was that the back side of it, the north side of it, was, it must have been dying. It was thin, there was no leaves, there was barely any leaves, it looked ugly. You just saw the trunk, you just saw the branches, you didn't see much for leaves. And it was getting worse year by year, and it would start dropping leaves on that half of the tree, what leaves it did have, it would start dropping them by June. So it made work for me, because all, all summer long, I'm like cleaning up leaves from this thing. And so we talked about it, and we're like, okay, even though this tree looks really nice, the other problem was it was getting bigger, it was get too close to our house, really. So we're like, okay, we're going to cut this tree down. Now, anybody who would drive by our house might be like, why did you cut that beautiful tree down? Well, what you didn't see about it was the other side. And on the other side, it wasn't healthy. And so we cut the tree down. That's why. You never really know what's going on in somebody else's life. And sometimes we're very quick to pass judgment and things like that. So from Matthew 12 here, we're now going to go into Matthew 9. And we're going to read Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. So while we read this, we're going to keep in mind the story there and just told of the uh, Matthew 12. Uh, but in Matthew 9, verse 9, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his house as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people do not need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So let's look at these two encounters Jesus has with the Pharisees. The setting and the events are very different. Um, in the first that Aaron told, the disciples and Jesus are walking out in the fields, they're picking grain, and the Pharisees come along. Uh, the setting of the second one here in Matthew 9 is in the city. Jesus and the disciples are sitting down with sinners in someone's home, and they're eating a meal. The one thing that is a lot or very similar between these two stories is the characters and the general sequence of events. So in both, both stories, we have the Pharisees, we have Jesus, and we have the disciples. In both stories, the Pharisees confront Jesus and his disciples with the question, what are you doing? And in both stories, Jesus answers with, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. So he's trying to help the Pharisees see the spirit of the law rather than following the letter of the law. And I'm sure for them, this must have been just mind-blowing, right? That's what they had built their entire lives on. That's what they built their entire religion on, was this idea of following the law and trying to earn God's favor. He's trying to help the Pharisees see and ask a different question. So instead of asking the disciples, what are you doing? He's trying to turn this back around on them so they can ask themselves, what am I doing? And when Jesus came, like I just kind of said, like he turned religion as the Pharisees knew it completely upside down. He took their laws, their traditions, their rules, their legalism, their need to enforce their rules, their desire to criticize others. 
He took all of that and contrasted it with love and kindness. He brought ideas that really seemed so dangerous to their religion that they ultimately had him crucified for it. So this idea of showing mercy instead of offering sacrifices is not a new idea. Jesus isn't rewriting the script when he instructs the Pharisees to show love and mercy. He's reminding them of what his father had told the people of Israel through Micah and Hosea 800 years prior. In Matthew 9, verse 13, and Matthew 12, verse 7, Jesus quotes the same verse, which is Hosea 6, verse 6, and this says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. So I'm going to read Hosea 6, verse 6. I'll read the entire verse for us. It says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. So after hearing that verse, let's look at Micah 6, verses 6 to 8 as well. If you have your Bible or your phones, this is one that you could open up to if you want, because I'm going to stay here for a few minutes and really talk about these three verses. It, these verses, they take the same principle of showing love and mercy um, above offering sacrifices, and it expands it in even more detail. It gives us some context of what they were doing back then, and so I'm going to read that now. Micah 6, verse 6 to 8 says, What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearly calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people of Israel. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation, and as I was reading it, the language here, I just found it really interesting. Um, and as I read it again and again, I was like, wow, this, I think this has to mean something. So I think it was intentional. Um, in verses 6 and 7, the subject of these is we or our. So as I read verses 6 and 7, listen for that. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearly calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our, our firstborn children to pay for our sins? Don't do it. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but in verse 8, the subject changes to you and your. Now it says, no, O people of Israel, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So God's requirement here isn't for the collective we or us, it's for the individual. If I'm reading this, it's for me and myself. In this scripture, they may have been referring to the whole nation of Israel. You know, back then maybe they were referring to their whole tribe, their whole country, whatever they were referring to, it was a big group of people, right? And sometimes we talk about that we today too, but it looks a little bit different. The we for us might be our denomination, it might be our church, our friend group, our Bible study group, our extended family. Um, we have all these groups and we want to ask often, are we doing things right? Like, do we have it right here? And as we start asking this, are we doing things right? Oftentimes it leads to, well, I know I'm doing it right, but are you? <laughs> and then we start asking the question, well, yes, I'm doing it right. What are you? What are you doing? And now here we are, right back to the position of the Pharisees who are pointing fingers and asking disciples, what are you doing?
So in verse 6 and 7, um, it goes through some very detailed ways that we can bring um, ourselves to the Lord. And we still ask that question today. It looks a lot different than what they laid out here. Like we, I mean, I don't offer burnt offerings. I don't ri uh, raise calves that I can offer my calves. Um, I don't have very much olive oil left because most of it went on the floor from Flint. <laughs> and I definitely want to keep my children. So I don't do these things, but we often ask these questions in terms of sort of prayer, worship, uh, giving tithes and offerings. Um, I'm sure you can, that's all I could think of when I was trying to write this down, but the list goes on, right? We, we ask lots of questions about, are we doing these things in the right way? And we had a really interesting conversation about this in our Bible study this week on Thursday. Um, we ended up talking about prayer, and I think it, the conversation started with um, like the question, how do we pray? What is the best way to pray? How should we pray? Um, and it, this conversation just kind of snowballed into all of us sharing the ways that we actually do pray in our own personal relationship with God. And it was really, really interesting because nobody said the exact same thing. Um, everyone in the room had a different personal way that they prayed. Well, one person said that they use the Lord's Prayer, so they pray in the way that Jesus laid out for his disciples and use the Lord's Prayer, but they inserted their own personal needs into that prayer. Uh, one person said that they pretty much only pray out loud because that really gives their words authority, it gives their words power, and they believe that speaking those prayers out loud um, is how they are most effect effectively praying. Uh, someone else said that they pray in their head 99% of the time because they don't really talk to people that much in general. They're a quieter person, and for them, that's what fits their personality. Another person in the group said that they pray by writing, them, writing things down. So they'll take their prayers, they'll write them down, and sometimes they even, as they're doing things, as they're working or doing things they enjoy, they view those things as worship because they're worshiping God while they're doing them. So in a way, those activities are their prayer to God. That was just really interesting as we talked about that and saw the different ways that people have a different relationship with God. It's interesting, you know, there's so many facets of our relationship with God, and just like Darby was talking about with that example of prayer, we, we all do things differently, right? And we, we kind of touched on this already, that God made us as individuals. It's okay for us to be, do things differently. God made us, He knows us. It's, that's totally okay. I wanted to just read one more passage with you this morning. Um, it comes from Matthew 7. Uh, the first verses 1 to 5, and it says this, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I've, I've uh, heard that read or read that quite a few times in my life, and I've had lots of different thoughts about it. We studied it in our Bible study one time, and we, we, we talked amongst ourselves on how um, we need to have the right heart posture to, 
to be able to talk to somebody about something and also have the right heart posture that if somebody comes up to us, that we could also receive what they have to say. We've talked about those things quite a bit, and, it, and it's very we had a very interesting conversation, but something hit me the other day that I never quite hit me like this. You know, every time that I, if I see Mr. Thiessen and I say, Mr. Thiessen, you have a speck in your eye. I just created the log in my eye with that judgment. Right then and there. Maybe I didn't have one going into that situation, but all of a sudden when I called out that speck, I just created a log in my own eye right now. And every time uh, that you cast judgment, you're the one with the bigger problem. That's basically what, this, what I was getting out of this scripture that I never really seen before. Maybe, maybe leading into this, you know, maybe it's just because Mr. Thiessen does something a little different than me. And I'm like, Mr. Thiessen, that's a, that's a problem. You know, what are you doing? But at that moment, maybe that's how Mr. Thiessen relates to God, the way he is doing it. Maybe that's, and just because I don't relate to God that way doesn't mean it was wrong for him. Got quiet. And so, so by me saying, Mr. Thiessen, you've got a problem. All of a sudden, I've created a problem for myself because I've passed judgment. And the, what was just a speck now is a log for me. I've created this situation where now, because I have this, I'm judging Mr. Thiessen, I can't, how can I properly help him? I can't because I'm judging him. I'm not love, judging is not loving. Can we agree on that? There's nothing loving about judging. So if I've taken this now and all of a sudden I'm judging, but in my heart I want to help him. Have you ever been there? Judging, but, in, but you, you really want to help. You can't do both. There's no way to help somebody coming from judgment. You can only help someone when it comes from love. Amen? And it, I think it takes a lot of um, humility to be able to not throw judgment when something like that comes up. Uh, even when we were having that discussion the other night at Bible study, I was the one who said that 99% of the time I pray in my head. Like I pretty much just pray in my head. That's just, yeah, what I do. Um, and so as everybody was saying the different ways that they pray, the person who said, you know, like I pray out loud because I feel like that gives my words power and authority. Um, you know, in my head I'm thinking, well, my words don't have any less power or authority than yours. Like I pray in my head, does that mean mine, my prayers aren't as good, my, that God can't hear my prayers as well as yours? Um, so then in a way there, what am I doing? I'm judging them for, and they weren't judging me, and it's just kind of a cycle, right? But afterwards, like when I really thought about it, um, I was like, man, I can really take some of what everybody said, seeing all the different ways that people have a personal relationship with God um, in their own unique way, and how can I bring that, some of that into my life? So, so uh, just a quick wrap-up to, to that Matthew 7, what Darby was kind of adding to. The verse, it's, it's not a cop-out for you to not help your brother. It's not a cop-out be like, oh, okay, I've got a log in. It says, no, you need to remove the log. So you need to remove the judgment. 
Whatever, whatever it is that might have bothered you or ruffled your feathers like somebody picking grain, you need to let that go. You need to offer forgiveness. And in that way, you can get back on track with love. And in that, when you can come at something for, with love in your heart, that you genuinely love somebody, whether, whether what you saw was right or wrong, you at least can come at it with the right at heart attitude and the right posture. Amen? It's not a cop-out for you to, not, to never do or say anything. But what it is, is it's saying, first, deal with the judgment. Get back in love. Walk in love. That's what Jesus told us over and over again. And in going back to Micah, where we were in chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, um, they went through all these ways that people were trying to please God, but in concluded with, No, O people of Israel, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So thankfully in that last verse, God has already told us what is good, and he has already laid out a framework of what he requires of me. And it's these three things, doing what is right, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God. We could even sum up these three things into three words, um, the first being obedience, second mercy, third relationship. And we can also combine these with the question that we've been asking this morning of what am I doing? Am I doing what is right? Am I showing love, mercy, and kindness? And am I walking humbly with my God? Or in other words, am I in relationship with him? I'm sorry to spring this on you, Siobhan, but is there any chance you'd play some background piano? Oh, cool. That's going to be great. Thanks, Siobhan. Um, we're getting ready, as we're getting ready to wrap this up and close, there's just a couple main points and a couple thoughts that we just want to really like make sure we drive home as we, before we go today. You know, Megan last week, she talked about religion, like from a tradition and a rule standpoint, like we said earlier. And when you're coming from a stance of religion, religion is going to ask, what are you doing? But when you come from a stance of relationship, relationship is going to ask first, what am I doing? And what could I do to help in this situation rather than point the finger? There's a big difference between sinning and doing something a different way than someone else. Does anybody agree? There's a big difference. And sometimes when we see somebody doing something a little different, but ultimately trying to get, achieve the same goal, sometimes we can equate that with sin. And that's, that's not the heart of it. That's not, what, that's not what God designed. God made us all, like I said earlier, fearfully and wonderfully made. And individually, I'm glad about that. I'm glad that I'm not you. But am I glad that you're not like me? Because it'd sure be easier if you were like me. Right? I'm glad I'm not you. But do I kind of wish that you were like me? I think we've all been in that spot. I know I have. It'd be a lot easier. When I'm trying to help someone or encourage someone, am I trying to help and encourage them to be like Jesus? Or am I pointing them toward my tradition and religion and rules, 
my version of Jesus. Does that make any sense? Because I guarantee you the way that Jesus reveals himself to me is not the same way that he reveals himself to Jarrett. It's not the same way he reveals himself to Amos. It's not the same way that he reveals himself to Luke. God reveals himself differently to all of us. And that in and of itself seems complicated, but only if you're judging. If you can let it go and see past that, what it actually is happening is God is loving and he's offering us all a chance to choose him. Amen. We need to be primarily focused on our own relationship with God. We can't grow someone else's. I can't help uh, Fred and Joyce grow their relationship with God. I can't do it. The only relationship with God I can grow is my own. But I can encourage and help build others up. That's for sure. That's what we can do. But I can't do that, like I said before, if I've got a log of judgment in my eye. It's not gonna happen. I have to be in love. So where do we go from here? When we're thinking back to the encounters the Pharisees had with Jesus, they were using God's word as validation for their own laws and rules. They weren't truly understanding what God has been trying to tell people since the beginning of time, that he wants to know you more than he wants your offerings. He truly wants to know you more than all the things that you think you need to do to get his love. He wants you to know him personally. And I don't know about you, but I, what I want to really find out is what God is saying to me. Like, I truly want to understand how to understand or how to love people, how to show kindness and mercy, just like Jesus did. I want to understand what his word says when I ask myself, what am I doing? Am I being obedient? Am I being merciful to others? Am I seeking my own relationship with him? It's really easy to try and just want to follow the rules, to just follow the things, because it's easy to have a certain way of doing things. It's easy when somebody says, hey, do this and you'll get from point A to point B, but that's not Christianity. There's nowhere there it says that, hey, do this and you'll go from point A to point B. The only way for you to know how to get from point A to point B is if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way. If you think that the rules, maybe, maybe you went to church your whole life. Maybe, maybe you've read your Bible every day. But if, if you haven't read your Bible in a way that you apply it to yourself, if you haven't prayed to God in a, in a way that, that, that you truly express who you are and what's going on and desire His help more than you desire helping yourself, you don't have that relationship. So today we, we just want to take, give everyone an opportunity. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're in this place and you're like, man, I, I show mercy really well. I've, you've got what you guys said, I've got it down. I can show mercy. That's, that's my strong suit. And I know some people it is, and that's awesome. But maybe you're here today and you do find yourself that you're in a place of judgment. Maybe you are following the rules and the creation more than the creator and having a relationship with Jesus. 
Maybe you have been in that place. We wanna, we wanna give you an opportunity just today in your seats. We're just gonna take a minute, just be quiet before the Lord, just to repent, just to ask God to change our hearts. And maybe you're a third party yet. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life before. Maybe you've never even started that relationship. Relationships with people, they come and go, but a relationship with Jesus is forever and he will never leave you, amen? This morning, if we could all just bow our heads, if you fell into group number two where you wanna take a minute and talk to God, take a minute and do that now. If, if you're in group number three and you've never known Jesus before, but you want to, I'm just gonna invite you, I know, I know sometimes this is difficult, but I'm just gonna invite you to raise your hand right now. If you need to know Jesus, you haven't known him before, but you want to, you wanna start this relationship we talked about. I just wanna give you an opportunity, lift your hand. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let's just take a minute. Church, those of you who are praying and and doing business with God in your heart, that's great. But the, the rest of us, can we pray with those who lifted their hands? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a good father. I thank you that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die for my sins. I thank you and I accept that gift. I invite you into my life invite you into my heart. Do with me what you will. Make me a son of yours. Give me ears to hear you and a heart to obey. I want to walk with you forever. Help me to grow my relationship with you, Jesus. Amen. Man, and if you've prayed that today, it's really important that you tell somebody. It's really important that you tell somebody because when you come into a family, everybody wants to know. Everybody's excited. We're excited for you. Amen? Are we excited? Right on. Well, we're super glad. I know, uh, I know maybe when you first saw me get up this morning, it wasn't what you expected. What, what we ended up doing, and it's not what I expected either. And you know, God really, uh, you know, when, when, you think, when you think you have it together and, and God gives you a, a different hand, it's quite humbling. And again, I'm very thankful for my wife. Uh, I should stand behind her, honestly. She's, she's the one who gave me the extra push to, so that we could get this this morning, have a word for you, because we did have a word from you, for you, but sometimes, Sometimes I guess it's easier said than done. And so we're so thankful um, that Jesus comes through. Are you thankful that he came through? Did, did Darby uh, have something good for you today? Amen. We're so glad that you're here today. I'm going to give the service back to Adam. Thank you so much for being here with us today. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.